What attributes do you need to be a successful leader? Is a good leader tough and fair, or are they benevolent, warm, and vulnerable? Very similar attributes to sales. In this episode, we dive into what defines successful leadership with a friend of mine, author and speaker, Stephen Shedletsky. Stephen is an expert on building speak-up cultures, an idea that a team is most successful when its members are willing to share their ideas openly and without fear. Today on Breaking Sales, we'll discuss speak-up cultures, as well as why self-awareness, benevolence, and curiosity are important parts of leading a team and, in general, human communication. All right, Stephen, here we are again. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to work this time, Dan. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> Listener, if, if you didn't know, this is like our third or fourth attempt, but I'm feeling great about it this time. Yes. We know good things are going to come out of this episode and out of this conversation. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. So let's kind of jump into it. Um, I've had plenty of time to prep for this now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so let's jump into a speak up culture. And I think the first place to start maybe um, is what inspired you? What were some of the lessons learned and experiences that led you to feel so strong about this topic and write the book? Yeah. There's a great quote by, I believe it's a Danish theologian, last name Kierkegaard. And the quote goes something around, uh, life makes sense looking backward, but you must live it forward. And so as I finished this book, it became really clear to me why I wrote it. Um, and I alluded in the end of the book in the last chapter called It's Personal. Um, and the two sort of life experiences that caused me to write this. One, I grew up with a stutter. I still do have a stutter and a, and a speech impediment. I've learned to work with it. And uh, there's no real, like, you don't overcome a stutter. You, it's a constant overcoming. Um, I married a speech therapist good choice, uh, not, not just for me, but also for my kids. Um, so, so that was one because Dan, I, I know what it feels like to be voiceless. I know what it feels like to have something you want to share, but lack the know-how or confidence or willingness um, to speak up. The other is in my 15 plus year career, I've been parts of many teams, many different teams. I've also worked with many clients over the, over the years as a speaker and, and facilitator and coach. And I've seen firsthand the difference between teams that I would say have a speak up culture um, and teams that do not. And it's a stark difference. Um, teams that do have a speak up culture trust and cooperation and creativity and innovation are more likely to thrive as well as there are folks that I've been on teams with that are best friends to this day, even though we're no longer on the same team together, but that team provided an amazing atmosphere in which our relationship could blossom and flourish. I've also been parts of teams and seen teams um, and even some that were once uh, did have a speak up culture no longer do. Um, and while people might speak up, it's very political, it's very guarded, it's very filtered, um, because you might say the wrong thing to the wrong person, and then boom, you're the you're the problem, and you're punished or you're ignored. Um, and so I have felt the power of both of those spectrums. And I want for there to be far more speak up cultures, uh, far more environments where it's safe and worth it 
to share our ideas, our feedback, our concerns, our disagreements, our mistakes. Um, and not only is it good for the human beings on the team, their health and well-being, it's also really good for the firm. Right. Yeah. When I when I read your book, one of the questions I kept thinking about, and I love to talk about it here, because I, I didn't have a speak up culture. Growing up, you know, I don't think it was the norm to encourage that. It was more, hey, you're here to learn. You're here to gain experience. And then at some point, yes, we want to hear from you. But for right now, no, you're in this meeting or you're in this process. We just want you to take notes and listen. It was it was more of that when I got into the business world growing up. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I was I'm thinking about is, and I'd love to hear your thoughts is, when is it constructive? When is it positive, right, to have a speak up culture? But when is it counterproductive? Like I, I think about, right, people have opinions. I don't know how productive opinions are. Yeah. And so as I'm sitting here and I, I was reading your book and I'm thinking about this conversation with you, I'm like, yeah, I'd really like to get Stephen's thoughts on the, the difference and where's that line? You know, where's that line in the sand? I, I might be describing it wrong. There may not be a line in the sand. Well, I mean, so, so much of this, Dan, is based on context, like what's going on. And it requires um, situational awareness and emotional intelligence. Um, I mean, <laughs> the beauty of this topic is it isn't here's seven steps, employ this, and you're good all the time you know, set, and, set it and forget it. No, because this is a human dynamic conversation. Um, and with human dynamics, there's always, it depends <laughs> and what's going on. So there's, there's a couple things to share here. One is um, Craig Ferguson, who I believe is a British comedian, apologies if he's not British, but he's a comedian, had a talk show. And he, uh, I don't know if it was his intention to become a management philosopher, but he came up with a brilliant Venn diagram, which is, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said now? And does it need to be said by me? And I think that's a great filter and and litmus test. So does it need to be said now? Yeah. Does it need to be said in general? Yes. Does it need to be said by me? Like go. A really interesting one is it needs to be said. It needs to be said now, but not by me. That's a really interesting one. But if we do have a healthy speak-up culture, I can say, hey, team, I want to take a risk here because I know Dan has some information on this client that would be really valuable if he shared it right now. Dan, at risk of putting you on the spot, can you go to Appendix 3 and explain your research here? And if, it's, if, that's, if we're in a healthy speak-up culture, that's the right thing, thing to do, two thumbs up. The really interesting piece is to separate behavior from impact. So what if someone does bring something up? It didn't need to be said. <laughs> it didn't need to be said now, and it didn't need to be said by them or any derivation of at least one of those factors being an X. How can you still say, Dan, I really appreci appreciate you bringing that up right now. And for the sake of this meeting, we have to, we have to move on team let's let the team decide is this a conversation we need to have right now or are we systems go to keep plugging along and still reward the behavior but at coach or provide feedback on the impact of it you know help me explain what you saw 
that caused you to share that right now and in, and in that moment. And you can provide some coaching um, as opposed to ignoring or shutting them 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 down. Because if you punish them for for speaking up and sharing an idea, opinion, whatever it might be, when you really want and do need to hear their their voice, if you haven't created that environment, good luck. So th those are a couple of thoughts. I'm curious, Dan, how that's received on your end. No, I, I think you're spot on. And, and you bring that up in your book about know thyself, right? And because as I was reading, I'm thinking, all right, I know myself and I know some triggers that I have. And then I look back on some of my experiences of triggers that other people had. And when it went well, we probably both did a very good job of managing ourselves like, right? And then when it didn't go well, we did a poor job or one person did a poor job, right? Of not managing oneself. So let's kind of get into that a little bit. You know, we do a lot of assessments here at Lapa 182 from a performance standpoint. And in your book, you list off a whole mess of them as well regarding this particular topic. You know, it's funny because I know this, if I, if I go to a, if I go to a group of a thousand people and I'm speaking to them and I'm on stage Mm -hmm. And I say, all right, everybody in the audience who's self-aware, raise your hand. 995 hands are going to go up. Totally. But that's not reality. I mean, it takes work. So can we talk a little bit about the leader's responsibility for knowing themselves? Yes. So in every single leadership development program I've ever heard of, um, you know, been a part of facilitating, been a participant in, I've noticed a theme. Every single one of them starts with a module on self, leading self, self-awareness, right? And it is step number one. Um, and the beauty of it is you're never done. I mean, we can learn about ourselves and the people around us literally until our dying day. Like what a, what a gift of what it means to to be a human, that learning about your instrument never ends, right? There's always more. You never arrive, you're always arriving when it comes to self-awareness. But this is the work of leadership, is to become secure in what are your strengths? How can you amplify them? What are your limitations or weakness area, weakness areas or gaps? And how can you mitigate, delegate, team, right? Um, it's, the, it's the beauty of what makes us strong as a species is not how well we can travel on our own, but how well we can team with others. We are a tribal, a pack species. We need each other. And so I think it is the work of any leader or any high-performing human to figure out their own instrument, see how it harmonizes well or creates dissonance typically with others, how to team better. And then the work of leadership is helping others realize they have their own instrument as well and how they can play it to their best ability and harmonize and so on and so forth, you know, help build more and more and more leaders. Um, so yeah, I mean like bravo, if you're self-aware in this moment, what happens when there's a, a new person you have to work with or, a, you know, like, how many of us were self-aware and then boom, COVID happened. You learned a lot more about yourself then because we all had a crash course in stress, uncertainty, and challenge where our true colors truly show. So, you know, even if you have arrived at that moment, there's more arriving. It's, it's infinite, that work of self-awareness. If somebody has a lot of great qualities, right? Like a leader, let's pretend that they understand the importance of listening and they understand the importance of warmth, enthusiasm, resilience. 
I'm just giving some examples, right? Yeah. But they struggle with tough-mindedness, right? They mm. struggle with they struggle with empathy. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, like you take a look at a lot of the football coaches out there, right? You know, there's this they're they're just marching up and down that sideline, tough-minded. You think about General Patton, right? Vince Lombardi, right? You think about these very tough-minded individuals in our history. So, if someone lacks empathy, though, mm-hmm. what kind of things can they do because innately right they're going to they're going to be challenged with allowing others to speak or they might allow others to speak but they're going to be challenged with the appropriate communication once the person speaks up right yep totally so I, I lean in and I reference, as you know, quite a bit in the book, the work of Rich Devinney. Um, Rich is a retired U.S. SEAL. He wrote the book, The Attributes, uh, for high team performance. And what Rich points out is there's a difference between skills and attributes. But so often we focus on skills because they're so easy to measure. Um, uh, and we build teams based on skills. But there's the dream team paradox of you hire the most skilled folks but you haven't looked at their human characteristics like empathy, resilience, patience, adaptability, uh, charisma, empathy, right? And so it's not just about putting the most talented folks on a team. It's also about having um, uh, an awareness of what are the human characteristics that will allow these folks to gel and perform at their best as a team. Um, So, I mean, I would even challenge, I actually don't think warmth or enthusiasm are leadership attributes. I think there are amazing leaders who aren't very warm or who aren't enthusiastic, but there are a few attributes, which um, attributes are more inherent to our nature, right? So skills we can learn, um, uh, typing on a computer, riding a bike, listening is actually a skill. It's why I put the word truly in front of Uh, listen in the subtitle of the book, because you can use listening as a skill to manipulate and get what you want. But when you combine compassion and empathy with listening, now you have a leadership superpower. So attributes can be developed. They simply take an awareness that you should develop them or could be better, Um, uh, deliberately putting yourself in stressful situations such that you can grow and develop that muscle. So I think there are a few leadership attributes amongst which are a service orientation, right? There's a difference between uh, generosity and sacrifice. Generosity is if you give 10,000 bucks to charity, but you have 10 million to, to spare, eh, like that's not set. Like that's not service oriented necessarily or a sacrifice. It's generous. But if you have $10,000 to your name, and you give 20 bucks to someone to go buy a couple sandwiches for them and their family, now that's sacrifice, right? Um, So I think leaders serve. Um, uh, Leaders are authentic and consistent. Like we know where we stand with them, which is why I don't think warmth is a leadership attribute. There There are plenty of leaders who are consistently grumpy or cold, but they're fantastic leaders and they're consistent and and predictable. You don't have to guess how they're going to show up. They consistently show up and that's okay. Um, Empathy and compassion, huge when it comes to um, leadership, decisiveness and ability to make a decision and own it with limited information. And then the kicker is accountability, which is when things go well, you give credit to others. And when things don't go well, you take responsibility. So I think those are some leadership attributes. And the question is, 
how can folks with their own self-awareness and 360 tools get a sense of where they sit, get a sense of if they could close a delta on some of those attributes, how better of a leader they would be if indeed they want to lead because they don't have to lead. It's, it's a choice. Yeah. I, I brought that up because, you know, um, having a background in sales for my entire career and now being the founder of Lapa 180, which is high performance as a sales professional, we have definitely come to the same conclusions regarding attributes. You know, we always share that results are one thing and they're over here. Most people try to drive or improve skill to drive results. And the problem is, as you've articulated as well, it's not about the skill. It's about the attributes. It's about the behavior because it's those behaviors that allow us to either develop and grow the skill or it's the behaviors that become the barrier to actually developing the skill. And I know from an empathetic standpoint, that's a big one because we see a lot of top performers, particularly in sales, get thrust into leadership positions. And yeah. a lot of times those attributes don't align. No. And, and what, what got you there won't get you to where you're going. Um, you know, this is also a gap in the fact that we don't have enough leadership training, which is so often, you know, this is how promotions work. It's who's the most responsible, who is the best numbers, let's promote them and have them be in charge of the people who did their, that same job yesterday. But we neglect to look at what are the skills and attributes that are needed to be an effective leader in that role? And how can we select someone for that, as well as train them, give them, give them support and, and, and training for it? I was glad to hear, maybe a little selfishly deep inside, about the warmth behavior and the enthusiastic behavior, because I know personally those are not two of my strengths. And I, I think back now, there were some really good leaders that were tough-minded that I got to learn from. You know, they, they weren't going to put the pom-poms on and they weren't going to cheer you on on the sideline. However, they were fair. They gave the feedback. They were accountable to themselves, but they also held you accountable too. Mm -hmm. Those experiences, looking back on them, and a lot of times it was also in sports too. They were very powerful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you actually burn more trust if you aren't naturally that way and you fake it. Um, or or it, that just takes a lot of energy out of you. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are some people whose natural disposition is to be warmer, which is great, um, you know, and and too, too much of any one of these attributes can also derail. Like empathy, wonderful leadership attribute, but tempered with decisiveness and, and accountability. Like if you have too much empathy and not enough decisiveness and, and, and accountability, you, you, that's a liability as well. So it's a, it's a recipe and a soup, um, empathy, great. And, um, when you have someone who isn't performing, you still need to have a hard conversation and not have empathy debilitate you from, you know, being kind, right? There's a difference between being nice and being kind, being nice of typically passive and avoiding hard conversations. So it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act with, with, with all of this. It is such a thing as being too high on some of these attributes can actually get in the way 
uncertain roles that that one is in as well. You know, Rich Divini always makes the makes a joke that you know a, a, a stand up comedian with too much empathy, not so good at their job. You know, you you actually would be best served to have not the most empathy because it gives you a bit of courage to uh, say a few things. Um, so I think this is all it's all a it's all a balancing act of this soup of of, of attributes, if you will. So from a a self-awareness standpoint, mm-hmm. I really like what you said earlier about um, should this be said? Should it be said now? Should it be said by me? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is there like a process or is there other, we'll call it um, best practices. I hate using that term. It's just so overused, but I don't have a better one this morning mm-hmm. for people to, try to engage some more self-awareness as they're debating, hey, should this be said? Should it be said now? And should I be the one to say it? I wanted to make this point earlier, and this is a perfect time to bring it back. I mean, looking at the spectrum of what it means to to speak up, there's there's sort of a, a, a sweet spot. Speaking up isn't sucking up. <laughs> And speaking up isn't carte blanche license to speak up without tact, decency, respect, emotional intelligence, or or situational awareness. So there is this sweet spot, again, of does it need to be said now and by me? One of the best things you can do is solicit and ask for ask for feedback. And then, you know, really listen and attune and do something with it. So the the other thing to do to create a speak up culture is to encourage folks to speak up and reward them when they do. So let's say I know that, um, you know, I'm more sensitive than the average bear. I tend to like to speak up more than the average bear. And so after a meeting, I could pick a couple folks and, and say, um, you know, so let's say Dan, you you and I just finished in a in a meeting where I where I said, hmm, I think I probably spoke about sixty percent of that meeting, and given that context, I'm not sure if that was the right choice. And now you and I have a trusted relationship and a speak up cultural relationship, and I could say to you, hey, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, and I'm happy to give you time to reflect on this, but would you be willing to share feedback with me on? Um, did I take things too personally? Did I speak up too much? Like, what was the quality? Like, what should I do more of? What should I do less of? And then now, I don't have to believe everything that you say is true, um, but I have to believe that everything you say is your opinion and that it is rightfully your 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 opinion. And then I can get more than one data point. I can pull folks consistently. Um, and again, there are amazing tools for this when it comes to a 360 assessment, but to, but to get a sense and make up your own sort of conclusions. And there's also, Dan, I think I've, I've seen so much a difference between self-awareness and then action. You know, there, there are some people that I know, uh, who are, are really uncomfortable with silence. It's likely their own insecurity and they fill it and they fill it often with stuff about themselves as well. And they'll know that they share too much, but there's there's nothing that they can do differently. They or there, there's no change in behavior. One of the best things that you can do to be an interesting person is to be interested, is to ask curious, good, open-ended questions. Um, so if you feel like you hog too much air, just ask questions, good, open-ended, curious questions. So just a few things. I'm curious your your thoughts on on that when it comes to 360s and then how to 
fill some space with more curiosity. What is so ironic, and I wish I could make this stuff up, but I can't. We coach a mindset, right, that emphasizes trust, right, benevolence, vulnerability, um, empathy, objectivity, not competency, right? Because when you think about sales, right, and sometimes when you think about leadership, right, there's like the competency piece, like the experience and the expertise, and they lead the way with it. But ironically, particularly in sales, it is. It's more about the benevolence, the vulnerability, the empathy, and the objectivity that one shares. And, and we always talk about seek to understand, stay curious. And that's exactly what you were just talking about there from a leadership standpoint. Yeah. It, it, so, and it's, it's so interesting because I think sales is a profession not all sales team and not all, not all sales teams and not all industries and environments are the same. So I actually did, I work with Rich Devinney and did an attributes discovery for a particular sales team. They sell um, uh, a, a pharmaceutical therapy for a very rare disease. And they're selling to highly educated, specialized physicians typically on their turf, in their medical office. And um, we, we did the attributes discovery and one of the misnomers or myths about sales professionals is, well, they have to be charismatic. Their, their last, the last ranked attribute was charisma. And they were like, literally their minds exploded and their leader of this area who is humble and courageous and persevere and like not particularly charismatic. He was like, Eureka, like no wonder why that hire and this hire and that hire didn't work because we hired them because they were charismatic, but it's not the right attribute for the sales environment. The appropriate attributes for that sales environment are courage, empathy, humility, like you have folks that are going in and attempting to sell a therapy that they know in some instances more about the rare disease than the physician itself. How like good luck with that dynamic. So that like, that's an example of one particular sales team that requires a very, um, uh, uh, specific and subset of attributes to actually thrive in the role, which is different than what some might think. I wonder from a speak up culture, I think it's actually very similar to sales. If you're, if you're really a professional in sales, you, your intent will always be benevolent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right your intent is not going to be to persuade or convince or try to prove why you're right or why you're the better choice. Yep. We as human beings do not respond well to that. There's a whole psychology behind that yet. I still don't understand why so many lead with that approach. It's really about showing up and seeking to understand the other person's perspective first, their situation what they're dealing with or their opinion of it. And it just seems a lot, (laughs) 
it seems very similar to an effective leadership approach too, though. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a couple things that come up. I mean, one is, you know, sales at its best is a service to be given. And, and, you know, one of the greatest, <laughs> one of the greatest ways of creating loyalty in a sales relationship is not selling something to someone when you're like, you know what, you don't need this. Um, or, you know what, I actually think you should speak to my friend or my competitor. There's a um, Adam Grant in his book, Give and Take, highlights one of the most successful eyeglass sales salespeople. And one of the tricks that they did is if someone walked into the store and they didn't have something for them and they knew of a store down the road that actually had something better, they would send that person to a different store. Now, you go home and you have fantastic glasses that look great and your friends say, ooh, Nice new glasses. Where did you get them? And you go, oh, I got them at so-and-so. But go here, ask for this person because they'll give you great advice, right? And so you're actually building loyalty through relationship, not through tra- not, not through transaction. I think the other thing, and this is, you know, a speak up culture to a T, Dan, is, you know, the old adage, the customer is always right. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to add in something in brackets, which is the customer is always right until they're not. <laughs> Or unless, unless they're not right. We agree on that one. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, what do you do in a sales relationship where you know that someone is actually making the wrong decision or you actually truly believe that the service that you have, whether it's yours or an, or a friend's product or service or whatever, like you actually have something that is better for them. And how do you display the tact, the decency, the benevolence to use your word, which I love that, that word, the, the courage to say, like, thank you for sharing that. I actually have a different perspective that I, I truly believe would better help you. Um, and I'd love to take just three minutes and explain that, or I can, or I follow up with some sales material or whatever it might be. Um, but I actually think it is, it is wonderful when folks display the vulnerability to disagree with you for your own benefit with without judgment because i think there's too much you know you know my religion or my political party or my gender or my race or ethnicity is better than yours let me explain why no 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 no. not talking about that Um, we need far more connection understanding appreciation there but in a context of of sales i actually think it's okay to be like I actually want to challenge you on that because I, I think I have something that might be better. You said something really powerful there, Stephen. It was no judging. That, I think, right there gets to the crux of why communication, whether it's leadership or sales, breaks down. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the clients that we coach, they have internal teams that they heavily depend on. And you just can't go into those internal teams and just start dictating what's going to happen just because you're the, the lead or you won the deal or you're the so-called quarterback on the opportunity. That's driving, not leading. That's being a driver. It's the hardest thing to do, I think, is when we have a, a result that we want, an outcome, a vision, we have to learn to kind of compartmentalize and pull back a bit so that we're not judging everything just based on that result. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think the advice, no judgment 
is poor advice. I think the proper advice is we are all fallible human beings. We all have judgments and biases, and the opportunity is to notice them, <laughs> examine if they represent our values, and then proceed as you wish. Uh, I think I think it, the the great work to be a great human being or, or leader is to go, oh, there's some judgment. Like, I'm going to move that aside. You know, I'm going to stay curious. I'm going to ask a question as opposed to saying, oh, I know what Dan's problem is. What if I ask one more question and be open to being surprised or just learn more? Um, so, I, I yeah, I, I think it's the goal is not to say, you know, don't, don't, don't have any bias. It's examine your bias or your judgment when it does appear and do something productive with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's hard for us to alleviate our biases. Um, I mean, it's not that we can't become aware of them, but to say that we can remove them, that's pretty tough to do. <laughs> yeah. I think we ought to examine them and, and, and examine if our biases, our judgments, are helping us behave in line with who we claim to be or want to be. Um, it's like, you know, bias or judgment versus value. Uh, and and we, we all have them. Like, you know, I'd love to say that I'm this perfect, uh, you know, amazing leader all the time. Of course I'm not. Uh, but it's how do you, how do you examine like, ah, like as a parent, as a driver in traffic, like when I, when I'm stressed and pushed, how do I show up? What's my natural inc inclination versus who do I want to be? And then how do I close the gap and clean it up? Like I have a seven and a half and a four and a half year old. I apologize to them when I behave out of line with what I want my character to, 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 to be, because that's what I want them to do as well. Um, and I try to reduce the frequency and the intensity of those interactions um, and work to always get better. Like that's, that's the that's the social contract of I think what it means to be a leader. Yeah, and as you're talking, I'm kind of reflecting back on my own experiences, and I definitely was a leader that got caught up on results. That's how I was taught, but it's I don't think it was the right way. I it was always about the results. So I would have people come in and say, "Hey, this is hard," or "This client's not going well," or "This prospects this," and I don't know if I'm going to hit my number, and I don't know, right? And there's such a an powerful line there of effectiveness where that person can walk away feeling like at least they were heard, right? Doesn't mean you have to agree, but they felt they were heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tough thing sometimes for some leaders, because I fall in that category where you want people to feel like they're heard, but you also don't want them to acquiesce to not persevering. Totally. Um, I mean, a couple of things come to mind here. So, you know, I'm a big believer that it's our inputs that get us our outputs and our results. Um, and you know, you, you look at something like lean management, lean management doesn't work because it focuses on the result above everything else. And if you only focus on the, on the, on the efficiency and the, and, and the effectiveness and not the journey and the inputs that got you there, like you might drive and push and get a result for a short amount of time, but it won't be sustained. It won't last and it won't surpass. And so I'm a big believer of focus on the 
on the team and focus on the inputs and focus on rest and recovery and reflection, you know, focus on all those things that actually get us high sustainable performance and, and, and results, which isn't an excuse not to have hard conversations. Um, there are times in my career when folks on my team have been underperforming and we have a, a conversation about that. You know, oftentimes the first thing that I'll ask them is like, give me a self-analysis. How do you feel that, that you're, that you're doing? Usually they're pretty, they're pretty on, you know, I feel like I'm behind and I'm on, am I not, and I'm underperforming and I'm like, yeah, I would agree. Let's work on that. Let's talk about that. You know, maybe they have some wrong things assigned to them. Maybe they have a lot going on in their life. Maybe they have too much on their, on their plate. You know, again, that, that attributes and strengths conversation, maybe they're, um, a, a, a strategic thinker in an executor role. Of course they're going to underperform, you know, but yeah, if, if we above all else drive for the results, we might get them for a short period of time, but it's like putting a snowmobile in sand, like it'll work for a bit but it won't work well and it won't work for a long time. And it, by the way, makes you extremely qualified for the work that you do, Dan, because you've been there, done that of the, of the tension of grappling between I want results versus how do I do right by this human being to get a sustainable results, not just results for this quarter at the expense of the quarters that follow. I don't know if you found this in your journey. A lot of times though, business, I'll say even corporate America, right? That term, they're structured on results. It's all bottom line. It's, it's the monthly, it's the quarterly. Um, and it makes it, I think, difficult for many, especially newer leaders who don't maybe have, who don't have their style yet mm -hmm. defined or strengthened where they have to grapple with I got this number to hit and I got 14 or 15, 12 salespeople, or I got a whole sales organization of a hundred, 200 people. And you know, we, we gotta, we gotta make things happen. So I think there's that tendency to go to immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. In the book, I make the analogy between pickle brine with, with culture. So you know, view a cucumber as a, as a human being, take a world-class cucumber, a human being, put it in a broken system or an often culture, awful culture or environment, and you get a pickle that should never have been made to no fault to the cucumber, right? So, so I think the, the very way in which quote unquote success is measured in, in, in corporate America, in corporations in general, and especially in public companies, it's, it's all, what have you done for me recently? Um, and that's not how business ebbs and flows and should work. That's not health. Um, so now the question is, what do you do if you're a first time leader, you got, you know, five to 15 sales folks, a number over your head, you know, how can you still as a leader ask for what you need from your leader in terms of tools and resources and, and, and clarity, you know, how can you say to, to, to your leader, I want to be the most effective that I can be for my team to get these results. Can you, can you help me help you, you know? Um, and I think that's a decent, decent request. Now the, the unfortunate thing is good leadership and poor leadership also trickles down. 
So if you don't have a good leader, if you don't have an empathetic leader, if you don't have a leader that is willing to support you so that you can support your, your team, you're a salmon swimming upstream or against the current. It's hard. It's harder. Um, but I think, Dan, this is so much of figuring out what is your own style. Again, we, we go back to where we began this conversation with self-awareness. How can you figure out what are my strengths? What are my limitations? What are my gaps? How can I constantly work on myself so that I can help the people around me work on themselves as well? Um, and it's amazing how we go to bat for others and, um, and surpass and give discretionary effort, not because we have to, but we want to when we care about the people around us. So care is an excellent input to getting strong outputs and, and results in any context. Yeah. The strongest leaders I've been around, they may have been tough. Um, and to your earlier point, I don't, I want to emphasize this. They may not have been warm. Yeah. They may not have been enthusiastic, but you nailed it. The one thing I remember is they cared yep. and you knew, you knew they cared. Yep. Which, and, and when there's care, it's, I want to have this hard conversation with you about how you showed up, or I want to have this hard conversation with you to help you grow. Not because it's fun or I want to, but I believe on the other end, you, me, and the team are going to be better. That's care. That's investment. Um, you know, when, uh, when you don't feel that it's safe or worth it to share feedback with your leader or your team or your peers, not a great sign. Um, but exactly to your point, care, care is like positive lubri lubrication inside of a team. It helps the team work smoother, better, faster. Steve and I continue our conversation in part two on this episode, where we turn our focus towards sales and relationship development. Stay tuned for more conversations around leadership attributes and building a speak up culture.